0: Thank you very much, good afternoon, uh, as many of you will know I spent my entire life working in the Norfolk record office, a wonderful facility, if you haven't been there go there, and everything I say just about will be based on documents held at the record office, so if you disbelieve me, go and look for yourself. The word strangers is an odd word really, because technically strangers just means as someone who is strange, if you look at medieval documents for Norwich. In the 12th, 13th century, you get references to strangers, for example, stealing goods off stalls in Norwich Marketplace, and the city authorities are worried about them because they haven't got the control over them, and therefore they can't take them out and hang them, as they would like to do. But those strangers are coming from far away and exotic places, like Hellsdon and Earlham and Lakenham, and not within the city of Norwich and not within the jurisdiction. So that's the word stranger, so it means and you do that, find that even in the 18th, 19th century. You find a word stranger found dead on the beach at Galston, buried in a local church. So the word stranger does just mean everybody, but in Norwich it's come particularly, as Chris said, and as people always used to say when they used to come into record office, to refer to Walloon-speaking and Dutch-speaking immigrants, refugees from the Low Countries in the period between roughly fifteen fifty and sixteen hundred, say slightly one or two both before and after that with that sort of date, so mid mid sixteenth century reign roughly of Queen Elizabeth the First. That is the period. And people would come into the record office and say, I think I have stranger of blood and they wouldn't just mean I'm related to some foreigner or someone from Helsdon. they would say, I am connected, I think, to those particular group of strangers coming in in the 16th century they're coming in where are they coming from they're coming in from this area here the shaded with the grey area is what is then called the Spanish Netherlands if you look at it you see it's bigger than what we now call the Netherlands The Netherlands. it includes Belgium which is the most important bit for us as we shall see us, us people in Norwich it includes a great chunk of Northern France like Lille and Arras and places like that, north France, and includes Luxembourg. And this area is under the control of Spain, and that's what causes the trouble. I can't go into the history of the Reformation now, but you will know that in the early 16th century, people are breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church, forming Protestant churches of various kinds, Lutheran, Calvinist Church of England, Anglican Church. And of course in the 16th century you can't just be what religion you want you have to be what religion the state has decided you're going to be otherwise you're in danger of persecution imprisonment exile having your property taken from you and ex- in extreme cases being executed and the problem in this area is that a lot of these people not all but enemies are wanting to break away and become Protestant, become calvinists but the area is controlled by Spain, hence so it's entitled Spanish Netherlands, and the Spanish don't want you to become a Protestant, and they are going to punish you if you do, severely. And this is what causes refugees to come out of this area. In from, I think roughly, I think 1549 is the first date, but they just start coming to England in 1550s, 1560s. Here's the same area again, if you can see on here, county of Flanders, can you see that. and you see Duchy of Brabant, county of Hainaut. Nearly all the refugees that come to Norwich are coming, at least originally, from those areas there, which are the areas we would think of as Belgium these days rather than Netherlands, technically. And um, Flanders, of course gives us the word Flemish. So if you go into Sir Peter Bancroft after this talk and look at their wonderful tapestry there they will say this is, we think, by Flemish weavers and they will mean people from Flanders. You do get a few coming from further north but mostly from, mostly from the south and the reason for that is that the people in the northern area are beginning to revolt and are trying to establish what eventually leads to become the Dutch Republic in the beginning of the 17th century, whereas the people in the southern area below this line here remain firmly in the control of Spain. So therefore, Protestants in the north might be lucky. This is a bit like Ukraine, really, how this is going on. You're getting the Spanish (coughs) army coming in, massacring Protestants quite often, Certainly putting them down, putting them into exile. Then you're getting the Dutch army pushing them back. And people are thinking, "Ah, oh, this is good, the Dutch have won. Then the Spanish army reinforce and they come back. So places like Antwerp get taken and retaken several times. And that is not as with Ukraine. It's a very serious matter. When the Spanish take Antwerp in, I think, 1575, they massacre eight to 9,000 people because they are Protestants, no other reason. When they when, they, when the Dutch recaptured, Spa- Spanish recaptured again a decade or more later, this time they kick out all the Protestants who are left. So you can see dangers of exile, dangers of execution. These are going to create waves of refugees at particular times, aren't they? So it's not a simple one-shot deal. They all come over in 1566. They are coming over, maybe even go back, when they think they're safe, like people from Ukraine might go back. to. Western Ukraine, now thinking they're safe but then were the Russians to get, become more powerful they might retreat again. And you get that going on for half a century here in the Spanish Netherlands. The people at the extreme Southland yeah. here tend to speak French. What I loosely call French, some people take their hands up and take cross it's actually Walloon, which is a variety of dialects part type of French, but in fact they're called, they're French speakers, and I've not got to use that word because that's what the documents call them. They call them either Walloons or they call them French people. But they're not referring to people who come from France and south down the bottom, they're referring to people who come from the Spanish, Netherlands, but are French speaking. That's what Walloons are. And uh, further north, in northern Flanders, northern Vermont and of course further north, uh, they're tending to be Dutch speaking. Because there's no absolute rule of this. I, uh, I've seen records of balloons coming from Utrecht, and no doubt you can find references to Dutch people living down at the bottom. But as a general rule, the balloons are coming from the extreme south of the Spanish Netherlands. A Dutch from further north in the bits area here in the southern end of Flanders is sometimes referred to as Walloon Flanders. So we're getting these two different communities. And that is important because when they come here they don't all form one community, they form two different communities, the Dutch and the French, the Dutch speakers and the French speakers. And where are they coming to, there we are, Norwich, 1571, drawn by two Dutchmen, largely copied from a map of 20 years earlier to be honest, but coloured and sold. And publicized by two dutchmen braun and hoggenberg and you can see the, w- the, in- the wall around it and the river at the, at the top and that wall roughly the inner ring road almost no houses outside it and lots of space inside it this is chapelfield on the Carrizar, and all along the top is going down by off king street there a lot of open space in the area north of the city, over the water, as we call it, off Magdalen Street, that would be in the city wall. So plenty of space. Norwich is regarded as the second largest city in England at this state, but of course that doesn't mean much by present day standards. And it's an interesting question, how much it does mean, because we don't know what the population was. If I were to say 15,000, that would be a guess within two or 3,000 uh, either way based on taxation returns, because there is of course no census of, of kind we're familiar with at this date. So this is where they're coming to, and I just put this in out of interest, and I would be showing the kind of house in which people uh, live, not just for strangers but in- English people as well, but these kind of houses. This is Offs and Swivens for example and was painted by Leonard Bolingbroke the man who owned Strangers Hall and gave Strangers Hall to the city so there's a Strangers connection there <coughs> being some kind of houses people would be living in sometimes in these talks people, including me in the old days, before I was enlightened rather tended to give this impression you've got all these strangers coming in and you've got the native 15,000 people who've been here generations and they said, oh, these strangers doing here, kind of thing. But you've got to remember that most of the English people are probably first or second generation incomers anyway, because that's what people were like. Towns had incredible high mortality, people who come in from the country of Norfolk, get married, have kids, die off at the age of 32, and their are places taken by more people coming in. So in a sense, it's not like there is a consistent native population <coughs> and a load of incomers. There's a load of people coming in who are English, but not Norwich-born, and there are the people speaking the foreign languages. If you look at the top windows there, you see some are quite opened out. Some of the dormer windows are big. And this is because the immigrants (coughs) and the natives both tend to be weavers. Weavers tend to do it at home, in their attics, they tend to need more light in their attics, so they open up the window space. And the word for that is lookum, which, in is, which is a Norfolk wo- word derived from a French word, so originally we get a lot of income is done for us, they've given us the word lookum, which comes from Ducal, the French word, meaning windows. Our, our documentary evidence really starts in 1566 there you are, 1566, the mayor's court book so it's all this crisis happening along in the Netherlands, Spanish Netherlands and what the t- city authorities think they can do, and this is very common again when it, these situations arise about immigration and refugee they think they can cherry pick a few nice ones a few ones that will be of a benefit to Norwich and invite those ones in and these are the names I don't know if you can make any sense in it at all of thirty masters, to be heading at the top, be thirty masters, and these are people who have the skills of weaving, and they think they, they'll be good. They'll teach the native population how to weave, and um, they will be, and also nice, reliable ones, which aren't going to be too cause too much trouble. And so, there's a list of thirty names. There was twenty-four up here, which are. Dutch speakers yes, here at the bottom here. Yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six four, five. Six Walloons. So already they're distinguishing in their own minds between the Dutch and the Walloons, two separate communities. If you look at some of these names, if you saw these in your family tree, you wouldn't think they were necessarily immigrants. You've got there, Thomas Batesman up there, for example. Robert Goddard down there. The have obviously, obviously. Uh, Dutch or French-sounding names. So these are the first thirty, June f- 1566. They say we'll invite these people in. Now I've done some research into these names. Um, you will find, firstly, a lot of them were in England anyway. So they're cherry-picking from earlier communities in Sandwich and London above all. So quite a few of these names are already have become refugees and have settled in those places. We think they're good, we want them. So we invite them in, and secondly you'll find if you look into these names, that probably half of them never turned up. So this is an invitation, if We send. do come along, and some will say yay, and some will say nay, and will stay in Sandwich or London or, or across wherever they are. So just because they've been invited doesn't necessarily mean they come. So I've heard people say these are the first 30 strangers with their families to come to Norwich. But many don't come to Norwich. These are the first 30 invited in, into Norwich. And one at least, William Steele, down here, who's invited and does come, proves to be an awful troublemaker and Anabaptist, i.e. he's against the Orthodox religion and is likely to cause trouble, so he is expelled. So the so city authorities are trying to maintain control. This is June 1566. 1567 is a big year because it's when the Dutch army actually take over in Brussels with a specific aim of putting down the mercenaries—not the mercenaries—but the mercenaries come over to Brussels under Duke Alva, Duke Alva, and they are particularly there to persecute Protestants, so you get a large number of potters leaving, so this is 1566, 30 invited, 1567, dozens are coming over, 1568 May, Queen Elizabeth gets panicky, says we want to know how many strangers have come to your city. Obviously. As far as we can say, Norwich, applies also to other cities where these people have come in, make a census of them. And that is a fantastic document, 1568, census of the incomers. Over the last few years, from the Low Countries, in two sections, as you might expect Walloon and Dutch, with names, occupations, which province they've come from. That's why we know about those ones coming from Flanders, for example, because this is given in the 1568 census. A marvellous document and some stories to tell. (coughs) There we are. That speaks for itself. assuming you, like the Bishop of Norwich who drew it up, are a fluent (coughs) speaker of Latin. Maria, again don't forget it's all Latin, that's a really, pardon, actually it's called Mary. Mary, widow of of John, Fabry, Latin for Smith, Mary, widow of John, Smith probably with seven children. These are people who've just arrived in Norwich, they're taking this down as they arrive on the quay in Norwich. Mary. Widow of John Smet, with seven children. The wife of Peter the person, the wife of Peter de Passet, with three children. Jacob de Pultier, with his wife and two daughters. Johanna Capetier, Johanna La widow. They've come together in a group. All out of Flanders, came in the depth of winter to us Norwich from Dieppe. So there's all sorts of stories there. To start, Dieppe is not in the Low countries. They've obviously <laughs> fled from the Low countries, they went up by ship, landed up in Dieppe. People in Dieppe have said, we don't want you, Too many immigrants here. And they got on another ship and wound up in Norwich. And notice that also, depth of winter, he's put that in because he thinks that's important. Because as with refugees, boat people these days, Uh, tending not to come in the winter are they, because it's much more risky. They must have been desperate. To come across the channel in the winter. That is so significant as is noted on this census here. Now this (coughs) widow with all her seven children, she's going to be in pretty desperate need, one imagines, of social relief, shall we say. But the great difference between these immigrants and immigrants today, as they are perceived by people who don't like immigrants, is that these people do not become a burden on the National Health Service or on the Social Service's benefit system. They don't become a burden on the National Health Service because there isn't one. They don't become a burden on the benefit system because it is explicitly stated in all documents that each community has to look after its own poor. So these seven kids coming in with Maria are not going to be looked after by the Norwich authorities. The expenses are not going to be taken up by the Norwich ratepayers, they are going to be taken up by the community into which they're going, in this case a Dutch, so Dutch community is supporting its own poor. You can tell that there's a very famous document called the Norwich Census of the Poor, 1568, where it goes round looking at all the poor people in the city, but they may have to pay for the city authorities, and that hasn't got a single immigrant in it. They don't count the immigrants as being part of their responsibility. I think that's very important to think about. So you get these Dutch and balloon communities raising money in their churches every weekend. And if you look at the wills of these people, those who are wealthy enough to have wills, they almost always are leaving money for the fund, for the poor of that community. So they're very much independent communities in that point of view. This is, if you like, a centre of the immigrant community, in the sense that this is where they worshipped, but this is really one thing that will distinguish these people from the native people, if you like to use that word, next door. On the Sunday the native people will all go to their local Anglican church, they have to, they get fined if they don't. There are no other alternative churches, It's a local parish church, but these people, by special permission of Queen Elizabeth, are allowed to have their own churches. The Dutch have their own church, and the Walloons, or French speakers, have their own church. The Dutch have their church in this called New Hall on here, which is St Andrew's Hall. But Walloons have a, originally, when they first come in the 1560s, the bishop puts it up in his chapel, in the cathedral close up there in the bishop's chapel. Eventually, after several generations, he gets fed up with having his community in his chapel, and he kicks them out. And then you get them being put in what is called the French Church, St Mary the Less, on Queen Street. <coughs> so these are the hearts of their communities. So these are where these people go every Sunday. Their neighbours are going off to their parish church. These are coming to these churches. And the elders and the deacons, and what are called the politic men, These sort of leading group, uh, of, of, of each community, the Walloons and the Dutch. Always, of course, men. obviously Only men have any authority in these matters. and. The, they are controlling the men in their, people in their community. So that is where the Dutch are worshipping, Blackfriars Hall, the eastern end of St Andrews Hall. Go in there you'll find on the wall a monument to one of the preachers, Ellison, I've forgotten which is the name now, but John, John Ellison, you'll see a big plaque to him on the wall which interestingly enough is in three languages, Dutch, English, and for the cultured Latin, so that is where the Dutch are worshipping the French are worshipping just in the bishop's palace in 1637 they take over St Mary of the Less and it's commemorated on this door you see 1637 presumably this door was put in by Walloon Crossman to celebrate them taking over this church um, this church is now in private hands so you can't normally see this but just occasionally on refugee week was the last time I went there, Um, the the owner will let you into the back of it and you can see it's on the north side, the north door here, with the date 1637, the date the French speakers, the Walloons, took over that church. Now when all these people come in, what are they going to do? As we saw, I hope, Noise people are particularly interested in <coughs> inviting in weavers and we weave master weavers, wool comers, people to do weaving, and this is what most people associate <coughs> with the Dutch and balloon community in the 1560s onwards. The skill of weaving. Of course, not all the refugees can find jobs, doing what they want, doing what skills they have. There are several letters written home by these strangers, to the authorities in Ypres, where they've come from, saying that they can't get work in their particular trade, they've had to learn a new one, which of course always happens with refugees and things, they can't always get the job they want, but uh, weaving is in decline in Norwich, of Estate. so the weavers in general are welcomed in, and I think about two thirds of these incomers find work as weavers so much so that in the, du- in the Norwich archives the book of regulations about what weavers can do is written in English but also in Dutch. So this is the Dutch book of orders for weavers. I can't understand a word of that, Could you, can any Dutch speakers? Actually there's an interesting debate about this, to what extent this is good Dutch and what extent this is some sort of dialect of Dutch, but anyway, it's broadly speaking Dutch, you know, that there it is in the Norwich archives an exact translation, of an English set of rules for weavers. And in theory, you'd have thought there ought to be a French one for the walloons. But if there was, it's not survived, so we haven't got it. And this is an example of a probate inventory of a Dutch lady. Probate inventory, when you die, someone comes round and values your goods for sale. On here you may or may not be able to see some words like micado, grogram, baise, Russell, these are all technical words related related to types of weaving, types of cloth. You can also see that she has some items which are particularly described as being Dutch. Three lines down, one Dutch cloak. Next Next line, two Dutch hats. Next line, one Dutch hood. And the values. So she had. So it indicates her clothing is slightly different. than the English people next door. She has these particular items. She's presumably bought with her. She is a refugee from below countries, Dutch speaking. Relatively wealthy. Wealthy enough to have a inventory made. Obviously, you wouldn't bother for all you'd have to. Two old spoons and a blanket. You've got to have things worth selling to have a, a proper inventory made. So, these are the weavers. Well, I know it means everybody's a weaver. This I compiled myself, as you can see, from a uh, return which is actually in the National Archives. And this is 1622, so this is a generation later, they've been well established. These are the ten wealthiest strangers in Norwich at that date, drawn up for tax purposes, presumably. And you can see these are the occupations. Lots of hosiers, they make hose. Not garden hose, of course, tights, basically. You've seen Shakespeare plays where people are all dressed up in tights. This is hose. And the Chances Art comes from Norwich. Norwich, by the late 16th century, has a reputation as being the place where hose is made, specialised in In hose. And you see a lot of these immigrants here, Dutch and Walloons, these wealthy immigrants. As like I say, these are the ten wealthiest immigrants. So these wealth sound may not sound very much to you, but these are big sums. These are lots of money. And you can see lots of hosiers in there. You can see also several, two, top and bottom, gardeners. And this is something which occurs as early as the 1568 census. You start getting people coming in from the low countries whose occupation is given as gardener. And this is something that people always say is the root of Norwich being particularly a city particularly proud of its open spaces, if you like, its gardens. These Dutch people, as early as, I think, 1570s, there's a record of Hengrave Hall in Suffolk. And they come to Norwich and pick up one of these gardens and take him down there to advise on how to lay out their garden. These people are bringing in, they're bringing tulips, of course, most famously, and other plants. And in the by 1630s you're getting what are called florists' feasts held in St Andrews Hall. I presume both for Dutch incomers, but also in- equally for English people who have taken up these these strange new pursuits and enjoyed them and are happily growing tulips and the other things in their gardens. But you see lots of money out. The wealthiest immigrant in, in Norwich in 1622 is, is a gardener. And he's one of the very few who actually live outside the city walls in Trous land of a Trous-Carrow area. Others, you can see there, merchants. Now, for some of these merchants are very wealthy. I presume they've either made their money very quickly or more likely. They've been able to transport their wealth over with them. So they very quickly become quite a wealthy set of merchants in Norwich, but people who are born in, in the Low Countries. Here you can see for a few examples, Tobias the Hem. Merchants of and St. Andrews and others who will combine merchants with other, other occupations. So the merchants within the community are quite an important set of people. And they sometimes sharpen legal documents. That is a disagreement between an Englishman called Thomas Brown at the top there, not Thomas Brown the writer, but another another haberdasher in fact, haberdasher in Norwich called Thomas Brown. And this is a dispute between him and a chap called Malyard Rickwood of Norwich, merchant stranger. So Rickwood is a stranger. This is 1593, by this time the Dutch, what becomes the Dutch Republic is more established, and he's able to trade between Rotterdam and Norwich, and he is trading in silk. And this is because, this is a dispute because of silk. When it arrived, wasn't found to be wasn't found to be as good as he had claimed so was a expense then a legal case great advantages of legal cases legal documents are kept forever <coughs> if you want to go down in history from, probably not true these days but in the old days before you had censuses and all the rest of it the, um, the best ways to go down in history were to either own land so you get taxed on it or commit a crime so your criminal record will be preserved forever and this gentleman is both well, a rich gentleman and say he's committed a crime but there's a dispute about, about about his trading processes. That, if you go to, very another rich man. I mentioned Tobias de Hem. This is his mother, in fact, Mrs de Hem, <coughs> who is buried in this tomb here, this monument, or very near to his monument, which is in St Michael at Clea. So you could go into St Michael at Clea, turn left to just go in, and you see this monument on the wall. It's so faded you can't see what it's all about, but it is to Mrs. Deham, who died, uh, was buried, and a little infant with her, for which, which had no name. Her, oh yes, little infant, which had no name, both died fifth of October. This is sixteen O three. You'll see underneath, prudence for maid. James Deham was buried sixth of October. The top, James Deham, who is actually a child. It doesn't say so on here. A boy called James Deham, twenty fifth of September. I suspect this is plague. This is all in 1603. A very bad plague year. The strangers appear to be more vulnerable to plague than the natives. Cause not entirely known. In a, in a very bad plague year, the worst we have in, for Norwich, 1579, something like a quarter of native population of Norwich was wiped out. It's hard to think of this really when you think of. I know the ravages of Covid and things like that. In 1579, in three months, 25% of people in Norwich died. And in the immigrant community it was even higher. So these are one, one reason why it's very difficult when people come along and they want say how many immigrants were there? Give us an exact figure. How many English people were there? Give us an exact figure. The people are coming and going and people are dying off suddenly in these plagues. Not at all uncommon for 15 20% of people to die in one particular summer, being replaced by incomers. The highest figure I've seen actually written down for the strangers is 4,679. That won't include them all because that is just four years after the Great Plague has killed 2,000 of them. So it's probably uh, the height, let's say, 5,000, maybe more, 5,000. Strangers, population of Norwich, I say, I don't know, about 15,000 maybe. So I'll make it one in four, maybe that's slightly too high, maybe maybe it's nearer to 12,000 as John Pound thought. So we're coming up to those magic figures, people always cautiously quote, between a quarter and a third of the population of Norwich in, let us say, 1579 before pre-plague, being someone who's come into the city within the last <coughs> 10 years from that particular area of the low countries above all from Flanders. So you can see what an enormous effect that is going to have on any city. Just in terms of languages, we I mean walk up and down the marketplace and one person in three, one person in four is going to be speaking either Dutch or French and all the different differences of culture that they will bring with them above all, as I say, the fact that they're centred around their own churches. As the English people are centred around their parish churches. This, two reasons I put this in, one is this is a good source, this is what's called a muster list. A muster list is where every adult male between 16 and 65 or 60, 16 and 60 I think, who is capable of arms, bearing arms, is summoned once a year and has to bring whatever they've got in the way of equipment. You get separate lists of these from 1595 for the dutch community and the Walloon community and these are actually quite good if you want to know which which of those communities your ancestors came from because a lot of other records just say alien and don't tell you but here this, these are particularly dutchmen i also put this in because look at <coughs> the come down to this man here john cropp mr is the only one on this list who gets the title mr why? Because he's a qualified university man. What is he? He's a doctor. So of course a man with a skill like that comes across in 1567 as he did, and of course immediately finds work and is plenty of demand. So he becomes one of the wealthiest citizens, Mr. John Crop, and that family continues down for two or three generations, and of course once they're here. English people who can afford doctors, not many people could in those days, those English people who can afford to pay doctors will go to Mr John Grobb. as a reference in the later pastor letters to someone going to him. If you look beside his name you see it says death. Not referring of course to any hearing difficulties but meaning defunct. So they made this list in uh, February 1595. Within a few months he has died. So obviously we don't bother to write out a new list it is ranked deaf, def- defunct, <coughs> that explains why, is, why hasn't Mr. John Crop turned up with his musket. Well, he's died. But here's an example. There are several several medical men come in, and they are of course much appreciated, and their skills added to the city. You also, of course, along with this, all these people, you need clergymen and teachers. And such like people do do service them, and those people do turn up in the 1568 census and later. And indeed, we have these, which is John Ellison already mentioned, the pastor of the Dutch community at St Andrews Hall, Hall, Blackfriars Hall, to be technical, and his wife, Mary, Maria Uh, Maria Ellison, Maria Bonconnell, before she was married. And these are painted by a Rembrandt. As far as I know, these are the only actual pictures of any of these immigrants. And they were painted, as I say, by Rembrandt. Rembrandt didn't come here to paint them, of course. This is in the 1630s, by which time the links between the Dutch community here and the Dutch Republic are well established. And Ellison and his wife go across to, I think, Amsterdam or possibly Rotterdam, I can't remember, I think Amsterdam and his brother pays for him to have his portrait painted by Rembrandt. And so we might say these are typical, but of course they're not typical, because A, they're pastors, and the pastor's wife, therefore likely to be wearing a sober dress, and B, of course, they're being painted by the leading portrait artist of his day, so they are literally wearing their Sunday best. I don't suppose they walked about the streets of Norwich in costumes like this, except perhaps on Sundays. It's interesting and important that we have those. Paintings, if you want to see them, you have to go all the way to Boston. Not Boston, Lincolnshire, even, but Boston, <laughs> Massachusetts, that's where they are now, in some art gallery there. Here's another man who's well known because he was the first person, Anthony de Salem, to bring printing Into Norwich. He brought his printing press with him, at least we think he must have done. He arrived also in 1567 and he set up his printing press and he started printing books. No one had ever done this before in Norwich. He printed mostly books for the Dutch community, mostly religious books. (coughs) He did print a few things in English and he, this is one of his books, I think, the Psalms any Dutch person who knows more Dutch than I do, correct me on that, and um, (coughs) he lived, and this plaque is just at the top of Dove Street, opposite John Market. and he lived there. Whether or not he printed there is another matter, because some of his printed books are actually labelled printed in St Andrews Parish, implying his printing press was probably down near St Andrews Hall, somewhere down, down there. And I suspect that he came up here when he gave up printing, as he did after about four years, and uh, became a wine merchant. He sold wine. But he was obviously thought useful because the city of Norwich employed him to print handbills, you know, bills they put up on the walls saying things like, stop throwing your rubbish in the river, fine, two shillings or whatever. He would print some of those. And of course, they would have much more authority if they were printed. And presumably had to write right, right in hand at other times. So he's actually just alone, produces books, the first ever books printed in the city, printed by a Dutch refugee incomer in 1567, to 1570, 1568. For example, in this particular one. Here, just to mention another name and another occupation: if you look, one, two, three, four, five, six, George Fenn alien, and business taxation, this is a tax record. Tax he's paying, doesn't tell anyone here, we know from other sources, he's a watch and clock maker. This is another skill they bring in. He is interesting because we know he had two apprentices who were English, so he's spreading his skills. We know that those apprentices grew up to be freemen themselves, and they themselves had apprentices who were English, and so on. So you're getting a whole succession of watch and clock makers inheriting the legacy of George Fenn. Dutch George, he's often call in the records. Once I've seen him referred to as Honest George, which is a nice tribute to him. And there he is in St Andrew's Parish again, paying his tax. He's Dutch. When he leaves his will, he's written in Dutch. That's quite interesting. A lot of these people weren't capable, didn't have enough English to write their wills in English. So you get these Dutch wills going amongst all the wills in the Norfolk Record Office and also French wills. Just giving you that one as an example. That's Adrian de la May, you can see that's so he's writing 1603, but he's writing not in English, but in French. And the lad he's sick, the corpus sick in the body, but sound in mind. So that's the will, don't you? And interestingly, he says in here that he's expecting to die very soon because he's already 54 years old. He's old, he's expected to die, and he does indeed die in a year or two. So this gives us a different flavour of what life was like, both for the natives and the incomers in the 1603 compared to today. He's 50 of, He's 54, he's regarded as an elderly gentleman, and he regards himself as that. So in terms of legacy, I've talked about the legacy in terms of things like skills, one I have mentioned is, is the art of dyeing, the dyeing of fabrics. It's a skill which, for the people from the Low Countries, bring in. Think of the madder, for example, the madder market, the actual origin of that is madder dye, and the dye is brought in from the Low Countries. That started off in the Middle Ages, but these people who are coming in in the 16th century are bringing in madder, they're bringing in cochineal, they're bringing in. In fact, at least there's one example of a man who's poached from Colchester to Norwich by the city authorities. Because he's a specialist dyer, and we want his skills here so that he can pass them on to English people. So let's finish off with a bit of obvious legacy. These are so obvious you probably know them. Word plane, unusual. So I'm used to it in Norwich, don't think of it. Open space, Dutch word open space. You're so used to an Andrews plane. Even here, we're in Millennium Plain, which it's obviously a modern adaptation of, of the phrase. But this is this is an indication of the Dutch contribution to Norwich. But the word plane is used rather than "square" or "place" or something like that. As there, Dutch gables behind the S-shaped tiles, so common in Norfolk and Norwich. We don't think about them. You won't get them down in Devon, unless they're stuck on some 1960s housing estate. You won't get them in any historic buildings in Devon, where I come from. And Panthers are Dutch, they originally brought in there as ballast, ballast and ships. But of course people started liking them, so he, you start using them as for gables, doesn't I say? I mean this house was built by a Dutch man, but it was built by people who were so used to Dutch ideas of architecture that they liked them and they embraced them. This is actually in the close. And to finish off with one which is so obvious, you take it for granted. Dutch come in, bring air, looms, work on the attics in their looms. Very tedious. Switch on the radio. Sorry, you're 400 years too early to listen to Radio Norfolk. So what do you do? You bring in a canary. So Dutch bring in canaries sit them by their looms to chirp away English people say oh that's fantastic that's a great improvement we like that we will start having it canaries now attics this develops Norwich becomes uniquely famous in the 18th and 19th century for its canary breeding of canary shows look in Victorian newspapers column after column canary breeders winning prizes at different shows and this is all coming from the Dutch Immigration of the 16th century, and these on the this, which is so obvious, you don't even need me to tell you what that is. But it probably, if anyone knows any different, do tell me. Is probably the only football logo, if you want, which actually celebrates immigrants, refugees into the community. The Dutch Canary, you know. and when the suffragettes from Norwich went down to London in 1908 for a big march, and they got off the Liverpool Street railway station. Everybody, all the crowd were watching, shouted out, ah, ah, the Canaries, the Canaries, said Norwich had become associated with the Canaries, thanks to the input of the Dutch immigrants of the 16th century. So, plenty of legacy.